And welcome to the Lindley Evans Music Studio at the ABC and also for Thank God It's Friday! I'm Richard Glover and this week with the music is Felicity Urquhart! And our panel, Angela Lavoie-Pierre, Rebecca de Unamuno and especially big round of applause for Gene Kitson! And our audience this week from Terrigal, Brisbane, Wales, Norellan, Nar- uh, Cobbity and Campbelltown. <laughs> but first, as always, the news from nowhere. It's International Women's Day, a day on which the question is sometimes asked, are men necessary? <laughs> After all, some say men will soon be redundant due to changes in the economy and in reproductive technology. Fair point. But surely we still have some uses. Let me count the ways. Number one, delaying menopause. Now, this is true. According to research at the University of Massachusetts, married women go through menopause two years later than those who are single. The difference, say the researchers, is caused by constant exposure to male pheromones. In other words, All a man needs to do is lie around on the couch, stinking the place out, and already he's performing a useful service. Luckily, we're quite skilled in doing just that. Two, retrieving salad bowls. Based on data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the average Australian male is 13 centimetres taller than the average female. This may not seem much, but in the typical household, it means that he can reach the salad bowl in the top cupboard while she cannot. For this reason alone, we are paying our way. (laughs) Killing vermin. Of course, women are perfectly able to kill vermin. But do you really want to? Thousands of years ago, men evolved to be hunters. The bloodlust of previous generations hums in our ears an ancient song of stalking, killing and eating, in which death and life intermingle in a Dionysian orgy of violence, abandon and high-fat cuisine. (laughs) Now, all this is hard to achieve if you're living in a flat in Marsfield. (laughs) Killing a cockroach with a rolled-up copy of Men's Health may be as good as it gets. (laughs) Let us have that! (laughs) Uh, Four, providing an object of derision. Everyone needs someone to laugh at. In this, men are invaluable. Who else would play air guitar in front of the bedroom mirror, shirt off, moaning with self-regard as he bends backwards to perform the riff from Smoke on the Water? Who else would look in the mirror, suck in his stomach and murmur, Oh, God, I'm good looking. (laughs) Just as you walk into the room. And who else would get competitive with the neighbour over renovations, the two of them standing there for hours? with a beer in hand, jauntily comparing the size of their decks. (laughs) That's right. Who would give up such a rich source of entertainment? Uh, number, uh, Number five, opening jars. It may not seem much, but we quite like being asked. We grip the lid, our arm muscles flexed in a way we feel is quite attractive, and then click... The lid springs free. We feel bountiful as we hand back the jar. 
its brimming contents ready for eating. Now, it's true that a jar-opening device is now available at Bunnings and it costs just $4.99, but why spend $4.99 when you could instead give such pleasure to some bloke who dreams of impressing you with his muscle flex? Uh, number six, why men are necessary, International Women's Day. Ordering dessert. Here's the thing. The waiter says, do you want dessert? And the woman says, oh, no, 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 not for me, but you have some. So the man orders dessert and the waiter brings the dessert. He puts it in front of the man. Then from the other side of the table, she picks up the spoon, <laughs> leans over and scoffs the lot. <laughs> Don't thank us. We're happy to provide this service. So are men necessary? Well, maybe not absolutely necessary, but we remain at least useful. What do you say on this International Women's Day? Will you keep us on for just a little longer? <laughs> and that's the news from nowhere. I thought, I, thought, I thought the affirmation wasn't as... Quite as Quite enthusiastic as I hope. I noticed that too. Will, will you keep us on? Give me a moment. Yeah, let's, uh, let's have a think about that. I think maybe too, you know, you forgot to say, you know, warming your feet, like keeping the power bills down in ah, the bed. Ah. Cheaper than a dog in yeah. many ways. Less trouble. But a menopausal <laughs> woman would do that for you, wouldn't she? Yeah, I could. That's right. I could be in bed with a menopause, another menopausal woman. That's true. That's true. A point of order on the jar, the yeah. flexing arm. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever looked at a man's face as he opens the jar, <laughs> it significantly undermines the pleasing effect of the flexing arm. <laughs> That's why I always do it with a bag on my head. So they, <laughs> so they just can't tell. Um, let's check you up with this week's news. Who took a wrecking ball to the people operating the wrecking ball? Oh, well, we're talking about uh, uh, Michael Daly, the uh, New South Wales opposition leader, uh, had a little bit of a Barney on air with Alan Jones, um, claiming that he felt... And, and Labor's always had that policy that they think that the destruction and rebuilding of the stadiums uh, in Sydney is pointless and a waste of money, which I think 80% of people in New South Wales agree with that, st uh, with that uh, side. And uh, anyway, I was having a bit of a chat and then Michael Daly just arced up and he said, oh, well, I could, uh, my first job when I become Premier is to sack the SCG board, of which Alan Jones is a member. And uh, and I just, I mean, regardless of whether or not you like Michael Daly, just being one of the people to stand up to Alan Jones was thrilling. I loved every studio, minute of it. Every minute of it. I mean, because let's face it, like New South Wales, you, well, you can't walk out the door now without stepping in a... A, a construction worker, and I mean that. You can, I step on them. They're everywhere. They're everywhere they're, you they're turn. One, they're wearing those high-vis vests to avoid you. <laughs> they're <now>. exactly right. <laughs> and I had a go at one who was blocking my entrance to my street the other day, and I yelled at him, and, I, and he was too afraid to even have a comeback. I screamed. I lost my voice. You can probably still hear it. I had a scream. I had a rant. And I had a rave. But I've got West Connects on my doorstep. I've got construction happening next door. The pedestrian island uh, where I have to cross with my shopping after I've done my shopping is now a construction site. And, and even... And I, you can't stop overdevelopment of Sydney by abusing one construction worker at a time. Yes, I can, and it is my mission. <laughs> I would do it. Going. But it's extraordinary. Like, and you just think... Like, and even like the light rail and everything, and you look at that and you just go, it's a straight line. How can you get that wrong? <laughs> like, I don't even get how you can get that wrong. So I think if all the sporting teams and all the concert goers are prepared to wait 30 years for a new stadium, go for it. Yeah.
It was a straight line, the rail system, but they had it averted in order to knock down more trees. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Uh, how, what did you make of this? What did... I have found that really one detail sticks in my mind about this entire story. I've never been able to make it past the idea that these seats were flammable because it's immediately put in my mind the question of flammability of a range of seats mm-hmm. because immediately you kind of go... they said they had to rip out the old seats the because old they were flammable. Are, this yeah. is the argument, right, because the, the seats were unsafe, therefore this is why the thing has to go. This is my understanding of the situation. Um, but I think about all the seats that I've ever sat on. Most of them are flammable and if you think that they're not, then that's kind of a problem with your attitude, you know. And so all of a sudden I'm in this position where I'm considering endlessly the flammability of seats, which I know I realise now that I'm saying it out loud sounds rather a lot like a threat and I'm not really sure how to walk it back. But this is this is kind of just where I've landed on the issue. I can't get past it. Anyone smoking and sitting at the same time is in danger. <laughs> no, it's all those Apparently. people with a hot ass, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> you had to give him, well, it was sort of one up for Louise Heron, wasn't it? Someone, the, the opera house boss, someone giving it to Alan Jones yeah, in his great. studio. Great. Uh, did you go along with that, Jen? I mean, other people, the government sort of says this is a trivial issue. It's It's peanuts compared to the amount of money that the state budget represents. Well, I do sometimes wonder if politicians listen to too much radio. No offence, <laughs> Richard. Uh, when they yep. could be... Gene, none taken, none taken. <laughs> <laughs> when really they could be out in the fresh air or even in the air con of a shopping centre and talking to people who occasionally vote. I mean, that would be good. If Mr Daly thinks that using Alan Jones in a sentence or Allianz Stadium in a sentence amounts to a policy, I think he may be mistaken. I don't know. (laughs) But a policy is something that lowers the power bills and I don't think Allianz Stadium is, you know, like, I don't know who connects with it. I don't connect with it. To me, Allianz Stadium is a set of a TV show featuring football. (laughs) <laughs> Many of us don't even know that Allianz Stadium and Sydney Football Stadium are the same joint. <laughs> like, because of these stupid naming rights. They, they change it every year. They're naming they? rights, so you can't feel sentimental about it. You don't even know what they're talking about. I had to look it up. I had to look up Allianz Stadium, but apparently the government wants to demolish one stadium to build another. I get that. But as long as your team doesn't really have to play football in the parking lot of a TV, you know, station. Who cares? Will the pies be cheaper if you can afford the family ticket to the stadium? Will the pies be cheaper or will the chairs be on fire? On fire. And, you know, it's out of character for Mr Daly because actually he was quite into demolition in a past life, you know, recently really, unless it's all a cunning plan to get Alan Jones to mention, you know, to use Mr Daly in a sentence because most of us had to look up Mr Daly too. (laughs) I think that's what it was all about. Uh, Who who got a flipping lucky start in terms of the workplace? So this is the the story, of course, this week, um, and and these are figures that McDonald's has put out, um, that 1.3 million Australians since uh, the, the chain opened its doors here in 71 have worked in a McDonald's store. Okay, that's that's one in 20 yeah. Australians have yeah. worked at McDonald's. Yeah. So it's 5% of the population. That's right. So it makes it the most common first job in the country by that count, which is extraordinary because especially when you consider the derision with which this kind of pursuit is talked about, like, oh, flipping burgers, it's ah. kind of the butt of a joke, isn't it? Which, but, but, you know, then they walk among us, you know, how many are in this room? <laughs> <laughs> Who worked at, who's worked at McDonald's? <laughs> Oh, we've got no. a very middle-class no, audience. No one in this room. <laughs> no one. Look at them, Richard. They're my <laughs> age. I love it. Well, not all of you. A lot younger. 
But we didn't. I had a job as a volunteer at the art gallery once. Does that count? I think these figures are a bit. Oh, sorry. Go on, go on. No, no. Oh, I was just going to say. I remember my my memory of people. Because I never did it, but I knew a lot of kids who did because I grew up in um, in Forbes and Bathurst in country New South Wales and so it was kind of one of the only and best jobs going if you were 15, 16 years old. So everyone went, yeah, great, absolutely. Um, and they'd go and do it. But I just remember them coming away with the most extraordinary stories, like reality TV, leadership spill-worthy stories of kind of backstabbing because it wasn't just one job. There were these sort of increments within uh, McDonald's and, and, you know, you'd have to work your way up to flipping a burger and, and you'd have to k- kill many people in order to do so and it was a great honour to flip a burger. Um, and, of course, you know, that's kind of obvious when you think about it. You take all these teenagers, kind of charged up, lots and lots of hormones, and then you remove adult supervision and you put them in a room together and you give them money and you raise the stakes. <laughs> and, yeah, it's chaos. So to, to, trip, to, to flip the burgers, you had to pass some sort of exam, did you? Well, you can turn your, you can turn your burger. Now, <laughs> I think it was like you, you, you'd have to really nail fries before they'd let you get onto a burger, and then and then you know because we all know McDonald's always nails their fries. Right, yeah. <laughs> they, they say it's you know an, edu- an educative thing, and it makes people understand the workplace. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I mean, I worked I worked as a waitress. And that was my first job. And I was uniquely poorly suited to it as well because at the time I had one leg that was slightly longer than the, o- longer than the other, so no one ever got a full cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, there is, you know, you see, I still learn something. Have you got the was... wine list here? <laughs> no, but I've got a leg list. <laughs> we'll have a cask, thanks. <laughs> I'll pay that. Um, yeah, no, but you, still, you do learn something in your first job. You know, you can't help it. It's even if they're not very pleasant lessons. Where was yours, Jean? If you didn't work at McDonald's? Oh, mine was a waitress too. No, we didn't have McDonald's back in our day when I was young. No one had shoes <laughs> except the horses. <laughs> our hamburgers were the traditional, you know, unidentified flying objects from yeah. Greasy Joe's with yeah, real tin beetroot Joe's. and tomato sauce from. Crusty bottles and potato cakes that could hold your books up <laughs> if you had books. You know, like. We dreamed of books. <laughs> we dreamed of. So I was a waitress too, and I was uniquely unsuited to being waitress. And I have one leg shorter than really? the other. Yeah, there I do. Go. But I didn't spill a coffee. I just walked in circles. <laughs> but I was a waitress. And I remember one night I got the sack, which because I was I had to deliver this. We had Coco Van. Remember Coco yeah, Van? Yeah. And this is the seventies, right? When I was, I was, you know, the baby, and um, <laughs> and I was delivering this Coco Van, and it was a beachside bistro and I'm delivering and I'm squeezing I'm holding these two plates of Coco Van which, which was, had a lot of gravy juice on it and these lumps of chicken and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get between the, the, the seats and, and I'm hearing oh, oh, oh and I'm thinking oh they're having fun aren't they <laughs> and then I get hear more screams stop, stop, stop and I look around and I'm chipping hot gravy <laughs> all over this man's bald sunburned head and he's got this shock I swung around like this and this chicken flew off the plate and hit his partner who had a halter neck dress on right between the shoulder blades and just slid down the yeah so I left. I, was, I should have been trained at that time.
Comedy's, comedy's game was the hospitality industry's game. <laughs> <laughs> Who, uh, who's uh, scotched rumours that the best investment is money in the bank? Who scotched the rumours this week? Come on. Well, this is a, this is a, there's a rare Scotch whiskey, apparently, which has proved to be uh, it's um, the greatest performing asset over recent years. Well, I think rare years. Scotch whiskey generally is the is, best. Is it generally? Yeah. See, generally. I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. I just, yeah cause, it's up cause, 600% in 10 years. Right. So it's overtaken things like art and, you yeah, know, and racehorses all, and all those kind of things. Well, see, the, see, I don't understand it, Richard. That's why I'm, I'm looking at you and staring at you blankly. I just don't understand it. But you, you know, must because, have large investments, well, Rebecca. Art, yes, I've got large investments. I, ca- I top up my Opal card each week. Uh, sometimes that 20 bucks, I really have to borrow it, you know. <laughs> that's, that's an investment. But I, I, mean, I can understand art and penthouses and, and, and you know, rare books and, and shares being, you know, big assets. But holding on to those is really easy when you think about it. But a good Scotch whiskey? I mean, that's to be drunk, is it not? I mean, if I had that, I'd go, look at this really beautifully expensive Scotch whiskey. After coming home after having a happy hour, I'd go, let's crack it open. Why not? Uh, that's, oh, look, no good it's, aged, it's aged two days. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect for drinking. You know? See if I can absorb some of the value. Exactly uh, right. Yes, I don't get it. So you, this is a thing to you should be investing in this, Jane. Well, I don't understand it either. I, I'm with Rebecca. I don't get it. Like if you invest in a penthouse, you can stand in it, and you go, "Wow, look at this penthouse mm-hmm. I'm standing in!" Oh, look at this art I've invested in on the walls. This is really great. You can look at it. You can count your shares while you're standing in the penthouse <laughs> looking at your art. But Scotch whiskey, what's the point of it? I'm exactly well, you could count the you bottles and because, think how. But you can't drink it. You can just sit there. It sits in your safe silently. <laughs> mocking you <laughs> and all you can do is sell it to someone else who can't drink it either I know. and what if you're an uninformed investor instead of buying a rare scotch whiskey you buy Carayo <laughs> only old people know about Carayo <laughs> Carayo was like the worst whiskey in the world someone come with me on this come on you remember all the really cheap whiskies are all called things like King Brian of Scotland <laughs> yeah, King cool. Cyril of Scotland was there a Cyril I don't know there was <laughs> well, drink it and find out yeah. Well, Carayo, thank God, isn't made anymore. You could strip down an old youth for repainting using Carayo. The best mixer for Carayo was actually WD-40. <laughs> Carayo was best used as a hair restorer if you wanted long, lustrous locks down the back of your esophagus. <laughs> I think you'd be better off investing in baby formula, Australian yeah. baby formula, yeah. and hiding yeah. that, really. 700% rise. <laughs> uh, we have Jean Kitson, Angela Lavoie-Pierre, and Rebecca de Unamuno. Thank God it's Friday Richard Now, a rash of articles this week about what is called autosexuality. Apparently, autosexuality is when you are in love with yourself. This triggered by a piece in London's Metro newspaper interviewing a woman who is planning on marrying herself. Uh, Self-described autosexual, Gia Vitale, uh, who's a writer in New York, said, I've been attracted to myself for as long as I've been cognizant of attraction. (laughs) Do you ever look in the mirror and go, (laughs) and what might be the practical problems of dating yourself? Jean Kitson. 
Well, first of all, I just want to just I just want to point out that perhaps it's ill-advised to use rash and sexuality in the same <laughs> sentence. A rash of articles this week about auto-sexuality, Richard. It just takes you down a whole other track. And it just anyway, all I can say about auto-sexuality is that it explains all the contestants on Married at First Sight. <laughs> It's certainly an attractive option for them, that's for sure. I don't think... um, There's no problems with dating yourself, I don't think. I think there would be zero problems dating yourself because, you know, you, you know what you like. Really, you know, and you can eat what you like. You can eat crab claw without your partner crossing their legs, you know, <laughs> as you crack them with your teeth and the juice dribbles down. Yeah. Um, you can wear the clothes you like. Those tracky dacks are adorable. You know, I just love retro. Um, no one minds you hogging the doona. The only downside is putting out your own bins, as you pointed out just earlier, and you know exactly, you know, what you want. In, but I just wonder if, if autosexual is simply a coy euphemism to being up yourself, <laughs> only in a good way. <laughs> you know, if it isn't just a euphemism married to yourself, isn't that just maybe a euphemism for masturbation? It could be. Are we allowed to say it? It's International Women's Day. Come on, get real. Get real here. We all do it. It happens. Uh, You know, and then you could say, you know, if it is just a euphemism, you could say, I married myself last night. (laughs) Twice. Twice. And I took my... What I did is I took myself on a nice and amazing honeymoon, didn't I? Yes, you did. Oh, my God, what a trip. I started cruising the Bermuda Triangle. A bit tentative, wasn't I, dear? Yes, you were. You know, I know the story's disappearing without a trace, so I didn't linger, but it was exciting. And, um, and then I travelled down around a bit the Galapagos Archipelago, spent some quite some time exploring the islands and Dingle Dells and the natural flora and fauna, as it turns out. Yes, dear. And then I had a bit of a run past Mount Fujiyama just skirted it, really. So then, you know, I travelled right down, or was it up? Oh, both. Yes, I think it might have been to Hawaii and the verdant tropical jungles. I know them quite well, and I've done a lot of trekking around there, haven't I? Oh, yes, you love it. Yes, I do. And the volcano's still active, as it turned out. That was a nice surprise, wasn't it, dear? Yes, it was. And then I sort of wound down and relaxed with the gentle spa cruise around How Long Bay. Oh, about ten minutes. Yes, it was. How long bay? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca Day Unamuna. Oh, how can you top that? Uh, Well, look, I don't look in the mirror. I definitely don't look in the mirror and go, I tend to look in the mirror and go, no. Um, and more so at a certain age. There's a certain age where your body starts to be in a battle with you uh, and my body is actually currently in a battle with itself. Uh, my, my breasts are trying to see which one is going to reach my knees first and, uh, and if I was a betting man, I'd put your money on lefty, just saying. Uh, <laughs> 
I now also make noises in the bedroom, uh, but not through sexual satisfaction. Uh, it's just getting in and out of bed. And I've noticed that the noises I make are equally proportionate to the direction in which I'm travelling. So if I'm going into bed, they're going... And if I'm getting up, they go, it's quite extraordinary. It's unbelievable. But, I mean, I wouldn't mind marrying myself, I must admit. I'm single. I date myself all the time. And so I think we've been dating for quite some time now. I think it's real. And, um, and so I'm thinking we will get, I will get married to myself. And when I think about all the presents that I have given as a single childless woman to all of my friends and family. I have given presents for engagements, for weddings, for baby showers, for christenings. I think I'm owed a few things. So um, I will be registered at Flight Centre and uh, everyone is happy to book a flight for me. Yeah. How long bay, for instance? <laughs> exactly. And I was going to say, and that isn't a euphemism. <laughs> Angela Lavoie, Pierre, do you think are you attracted to this idea of autosexuality? Well, first of all, I'm going to need someone to explain to me everything that Jean Kitson said. I mean, oh, that went straight over my head. I don't know about you guys. Um, but I, I think it would have been very offensive had we understood it. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, no one did. <laughs> I didn't. Uh... I, I, autosexuality, I mean, you'd kill for that kind of confidence, wouldn't you? I mean, that's wonderful self-confidence. You could conquer worlds with that kind of self-confidence. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm going to go one step further than saying what, you know, Jean said that, it, you know, you can date yourself and it's good. I think it's essential to date yourself, especially if you're single. You know, you've got to take yourself out. The problem is, though, I mean, I'm very, um, I'm very demanding and I'm also very <laughs> eager to please. <laughs> Which means that I'm broke. <laughs> if we ever got a divorce, it would be over money. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I mean, a lot of debt. Um, as for yeah, as for rating my looks, I reckon there's probably I reckon there's probably like one day in seven that I would. That's about the ratio that I'd look in the mirror and go like. G'day, what are you doing later? Like, <laughs> you, and I turn into some kind of bloke from Bathurst when I do it. I go, yeah, g'day, yeah. <laughs> well, when, when does this occur? Monday morning, first thing? Or, or, uh... Oh, it's not Mondays. I reckon it might be fr like Friday, maybe a Saturday, and then it's kind of we're back to zero. You know, back to zero. M maybe but... seven o'clock tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could get I'm lucky. Having a good day. You yeah. could get lucky with yourself. <laughs> Hey, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, are you ready for the wheel of death, ladies and gentlemen? The wheel of death. Uh, when our lovely audience came in, they threw these random topics onto this chocolate wheel. Today's topics are plastic, prestige, pets, silk, women, turning 60, hot cross buns, angels, lifts, prawns, security, pumpkin soup, gardening and smelly feet. Rebecca, you're going to take on the challenge again. Yes. What, which one fills you full of fear? Oh, there's a lot of alliteration on the wheel this week, I've noticed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of P words. Mm -hmm. So any of those might cause me to pee. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Or to be a poet. Or which to you, be a poet. Or, which we'll you see what happens. Right, round and round and round it goes. It's stopping on lifts. Oh, lifts. Oh, lifts. <laughs> lifts. Okay. We need some WD-40. Have you got anything <laughs> left over from the whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> Lifts, okay. I should have said that's the one that I'm fearing. <laughs> Lifts, okay. You could get a shoe for either of your panellists to it's all good. correct their other foot. <laughs> well, that, that's exactly where I was going. Well done. Okay. Um, I have an announcement, something to report. If you haven't noticed yet, 
I'm incredibly short. <laughs> Some would say, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. And I say, shut up, at least you're five foot two. <laughs> you see, the thing for me is I'm five foot exact, which means it's hard to reach things. That's a matter. It's a fact. So in my house, I have some rules. Everyone has to come with their own step stools <laughs> and leave them as they exit so that I can reach the top shelves, the cupboards, the tin of peaches. And that's where I see that I sometimes falter because it's a skill and a physicality that I just can't alter. You see, I'd love to get heels, you know, the ones oh so high, but I look like a baby giraffe when walking or trying to, that very first time as it falls out of the mum, and I always end up slipping onto my bum. (laughs) So lifts in shoes, that's true, I could do it, but really, a man would look at that and say, I won't pursue it. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it matters, because I'm dating myself. And in my mind, my partner is tall and can reach the top shelf. (laughs) So you can keep your lifts and your wedges and stilettos. Just give me a bag of corn chips and cornettos. (laughs) (laughs) And always embrace someone who isn't real tall. Because as they say, good things come in packages. Especially small. I always I always love those moments when you're improvising where we where we all think stiletto. <laughs> okay, that. okay, she's sunk. She's not gonna find a rhyme for stiletto. Oh, I totally thought. And then you did! Cornetto! <laughs> I, I mentioned Last week yes. when you were doing it, how yep. amazed everyone is who is in the audience because I think when people listen on the radio, they kind of imagine that we've slipped you the topic and you've written it out. But we can we say to the people of Australia, this is real. Yes. She is a freak. She is a freak. <laughs> I am a freak. She's a freak. A super freak. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, now, uh, news this week that President Trump went to enormous lengths to bury his school records. This, as he claimed to have done brilliantly at school. <laughs> what are the things that we'd find in your school record that may mm-hmm. impede your political career? Angela, I love what Pierre. <laughs> it's sort of uncomfortable to ask me because I did innumerable bad things in high school, which aren't, you know, it's not that long, it's sort of like, you know, a little while ago, but... I, the real, like, deal breaker, I think, the thing that would really sink my political career um, happened back in year two. Um, <laughs> and this was the year, and this is back in Forbes, St. Lawrence's uh, Catholic School, where I convinced a number of school children to essentially labour for me <laughs> and build a bunker that I had designed in the school sandpit. <laughs> so this is every lunch and every recess I'd kind of talked, um, I'd talked these kids into, uh, yeah, working for me essentially. And I would supervise. I wasn't necessarily working very hard. I mean, in my defence, you haven't really developed morally that much really by <laughs> eight or so, have you? You haven't got that far. But it was, it was a modest bunker, you know, like there were, I mean, there were steps. Um, there were support beams. Like I was, you know, safety. I had safety in mind. It had, there was a plan for fresh water to be down there. Although I hadn't worked out drainage. Didn't know how to get back up out, out again. And there was a biscuit shelf. That was the main kind of feature. In fact, perhaps 
in hindsight, it was sort of more of an elaborate receptacle for biscuits, this particular <laughs> bunker. Uh, uh, and we got quite a long way as well. Like it was a big enough hole that you could kind of like you, you, a child would disappear into it as they were sort of digging, continuing to dig. Um, and then Mrs. Pavey noticed what was going on and sort of accosted me and said, Ange, what are you doing? Um, and I had to sort of hand over these plans, um, which I'd drawn up, and I was disciplined and separated from those children from, from then on. Um, so I think... How unfair. Because that was I a, know, that, that I was pre- Well, it's better organised than the light rail, isn't and it? I was, I I mean, was just <laughs> going to say, and that's the only shelf that I could reach, I reckon, that one. That's Building them. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in one sense it was community development, in other senses it was child slave labour. So um, I suppose that might be a stumbling block if I had to read Gene Kitson, if you'd failed to destroy your school reports as, as, as Trump has done with his, what, what would you be caught out with? Oh, well, first of all, I want to say that this is a bit of a trend because I thought we were still waiting for Obama's Harvard reports, you know, the ones he locked away ten years ago in the hope we'd forget about them. Remember those? Yeah, he did. No, we've, and we've forgotten Trump, about them. <laughs> we forgot about them. And we did, and I think Trump is, Trump, Trump is following Obama's example. But in both cases, this is really a new style of investigating, investigative reporting because we, don't, we never knew what Kennedy got for maths, did we, or whether LBJ flunked Cuisinaire. We knew <laughs> nothing about that. And a lot of the early presidents were proud that they left school at 15 and worked in the family blacksmith shop or hunted bears or something. I think Lincoln taught himself to write on the back of a shovel with a piece of charcoal and, you know, he never even went to schools. American voters are only suspicious of candidates who went to... Um, you know, who went to school, I think. You can't, you can't both claim to have done brilliantly and then prevent people from testing that out. Well, well I've both. done that all my life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my school, I've told you about my school, my high school, where the, it was so rough. Like, I've, to, I've told you all about, you know, Rosebud High. And our school teachers went on a... In Year 10, we only had a four-day week because the teachers were on strike. They'd had enough. They just couldn't bear it anymore. And so in Year 11, my mother sent me to a new school and I was so far behind. I didn't even know what chemistry and physics were. I thought that was something like making a bong out of an exhaust pipe on the car or something. <laughs> but anyway, I did chemistry and I was so, ex- I was so um, nervous before the exam. I was absolutely, you know, like I just couldn't breathe because I knew I didn't understand a thing. And then my mum decided to calm me down. She'd give me a Valium. And she gave me a whole Valium at the age of like 16. And I go in, and I remember going into that exam room and going, oh, wow. <laughs> Listen to that bell. I can hear it. Bell, look at those. Anyway, I got four percent, and <laughs> I think I got four percent from writing my name at you know the classic and the top of the thing. And then my mum went in and told the headmistress that um, she'd given me a Valium, and and then the headmistress said she'd go away and talk to the chemistry teacher about it. And then they, they decided that I wouldn't have got any more even if I hadn't been. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Didn't do well at school, no. Rebecca, if we found out about your school report. Uh, Look, 
I I had written on my report um, that uh, works well with others. So I think that rules me out as a politician instantly, doesn't it? Isn't that something? I can't, I can't become one. That's instant. Um, but when I was in kindergarten, uh, because of my surname, um, uh, I was considered foreign. And uh, and I had one girl come up to me and I was, I'd just be, um, been to the bathroom and had, was washing my hands at the sink. And she came up and she slapped me really hard on my back and pointed at me and said, you're from the moon. And um, <laughs> I think in hindsight she may be right. Uh, but, but at the time, I stood up. I stood up for immigrants' rights. So I'm not sure that that would put me in good stead being a politician. Anyway, just put the boot in there. Uh, the home the home brew kit that my male friends... You are called in, D-Muno, virtually. <laughs> from the moon. Uh, the, one, the home brew kit that uh, the guys I was friends with in high school uh, had in the bush that uh, was adjacent to our school and uh, and would often go down during scripture class and uh, sample the home brew and bring back a sample for us. I reckon that wouldn't go down too well, or would it? I'm not sure. They were t- turning water into beer. <laughs> turning water into beer. It's quite, quite religious. It was a very spiritual experience, trust me. Uh, I, I also used, I mean, in high school, when I was in year 12, I was school captain of my school and I used that position for evil. Uh, I was a terrible, terrible math student and uh, I would always put my hand up if I I just couldn't figure out the problems in the textbook. I just put my hand up and say, oh, sorry, sir. Uh, yeah, I forgot to mention, but um, the principal needs to see me at 12.20 and uh, the bell would be going at 12.30. You'd go, okay, okay, off you go. And I'd run, take everyone's orders and their money and run straight to the front of the canteen line and be waiting for when the bell rang and make everyone's purchases for them. So that probably didn't go down well. And but that's, uh, a bid, that's the sort of bid for pop- popularity that would make the perfect well, politician. See, but then I th- that's what I'm thinking. I think I might have to change my career path. I don't know. And one thing that could also help is too that um, I was told that I could do better if I just stopped talking and listened more. So... I, I'm voting one for you as Premier and Angela Lava pierre as head of the City West Link. You know, she's so That's good at construction. Oh, she's so good. Uh, we have, thank God it's Friday, Jean Kitson, Angela Lavoie pierre and Rebecca Day-Unamuno. Now, a, a lecture on this week at the MCA here in Sydney on the language of trees based on new science which describes how plants communicate with each other, even sending warnings of danger from one plant to another. If the plants in your life could be translated, what do you think they'd be saying? Jean Kitson. Um, Well, first of all, we know that trees talk to each other. We've seen Lord of the Rings. They also walk. (laughs) Some of them walk, Richard. And I do, I do, I love trees, but in a nice way. So not in like a weird sexual way. And that is um, possible. People who are less nice love them like that. And it's called dendrophilia or paraphilia. And when you look it up, there are videos, uh, which I didn't open. And so are, you, where, are you attacking the tree huggers of the Greeks? Yeah, well, it's more than that. I think yeah, there, there, you know, there are headlines like "Man has sex with tree." I didn't read on it. It sounded like a buck's night or something to me. But I would like to see this man. This sick has... organisation has branches everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's funny. Um, I'd like to see you know man has sex with bougainvillea. <laughs> 
I'm not a sadist, but when a Bougainvillea says no, it backs that no up. It's got spikes about three inches long. Um, then there are, you know, I try to... I've tried... There are people who speak to trees. I've tried to speak to my trees, but they ignore me most of the time. They, they occasionally drop a dead branch near my car and, you know, and occasionally on my car, but I'm not sure... Do you sure. think they're trying to send you a message? I don't know what it means. I really don't know what it means. I don't... They haven't really... I don't understand. Maybe they're sick of being ignored. Maybe they want a bit of that uh, kits and lovin'. I, well, well, I give them a lot of love. I love my trees. Not good, too much love, just, you know, but I, I'd like to understand my trees. I'd like to come to an arrangement with my trees. I'd like my trees to stop dropping things over the neighbour's fence because the neighbours then get cranky and then I have to prune the trees and I don't even know whether that hurts or whether it's like cutting hair. And if I could come, if the trees would only listen, I'd say, just drop the stuff over my side or tell me when you're going to drop your stuff and I'll go and pick it up before the neighbours complain and I have to cut your branches. I don't like that, you know. I love, yeah, I love my trees. I think what most of my trees are saying to me is water us or tell your dogs to stop. <laughs> tell your dogs to find a lamppost or a street sign because, frankly, it's disgusting. I bet they... But when they're shouting at the, the dogs, their bark is worse than their bite, isn't it? <laughs> uh, uh, I bow to that. Angela, <laughs> Pierre, if the tree, if you could really Listen into the plants in your life. What would they be saying? If my plants could talk, I reckon they would probably be reading passages from the Chin- Geneva Convention. Um, they would be seeking refugee status in a house with an owner that has more conscientious habits of watering them. I am a famous tree killer. Every now and then, I will get this kind of burst of enthusiasm and buy a bunch, and there'll be this sort of you know, pattern where I'll... I was going to say feed them. Clearly I don't know how these creatures work. Um, And then they'll all die. But I'm I'm trying something new at the moment where I'm just... Focusing all my attention and love on this one plant. I've just bought one plant. I think maybe if I can just make it work with this one plant, you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm caring for it as if it shared my DNA. Like I'm really looking after this plant. Like I've got uh, a note in my diary. I set alarms to water it, um, and it's going, it's going really well so far. What sort of plant is it? Um, I don't know what they're called, <laughs> but, but it's like a cross between like a but, like a button daisy that perennially flowers, and then like a, sort of like a waxy sort of a um, like a succulent. Yeah, like a succulent. That's what I was looking for. And it's got this weird, beautiful, crinkled pink pot, and I love it. And I'm going to make things going to be different this time. Yeah. It's virtually <laughs> like being with Costa Georgiatis, isn't it? Talking to Angela, it's a, the deep knowledge, fantastic. <laughs> Rebecca, if the plants could talk. Oh, look, I wonder, I wonder, Jean, what is it called when people are in love with trees and, and they're doing things with trees? What's, oh, what it's they, called, it called um, dendrophilia. Dendrophilia. Or paraphilia. Paraphilia. That's interesting because I wonder if the tree walks away saying that they have a good root. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, see what I did there? <laughs> but with my... <laughs> My, my, my plants, same, would just be... The, the only thing that they would be saying was, Water! Water! Um, because it's I'm easy. Every time my, my Italian neighbour used to counsel me about gardening. He said, yeah. every time you want a drink, 
Give the plant a drink. Well, then now, I want to drink all the time. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. My, my plants are really suffering. And, and um, I, I tour a lot. And so as soon as I get my suitcase out, um, which is, you know, usually about once a month, uh, that's when my plants all send the message to retain water, um, which is kind of interesting because it matches with my cycle at the same time. So it's, it's, it's uncanny. So we have that in common. But I have a lot of succulents, a lot of succulents. Um, like, Angie, I'm hardy. not... Because they're hardy, you see. You, they can go a lot longer than most plants without water. These are the, the cactus. Yeah, so yeah, all varying kinds. They're amazing. They're beautiful to look at when they're living. They're great. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, I, um, and I'm pretty sure, though, um, once I leave with my suitcase and I go on tour, the succulents um, simply are just saying, she sucks, because uh, <laughs> I am really bad. I can kill a succulent. Which is that's All right. a good winners point. and losers of the week. Uh, the loser, not including your your cacti. <laughs> who, who were they? Rebecca? Okay, my, my loser for the week is uh, is the billionaire diamond trader who um, died whilst having a penis enlargement, and uh, and I think it's a bit ironic that the biggest thing in his life is going to be the story of his death. <laughs> and my winners... You see, you invite some women on. <laughs> and my winners uh, for the week, on this International Women's Day, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge and to thank all my amazing comedy sisters. We are constantly being told that women aren't funny. We're constantly being um, told, I don't normally like female comedians, yet we face that criticism, we promptly ignore it, and we get on stage and Prove them wrong Yay. each and every time. Yeah. Comedy sister Angela Lavoie Pierre, winners and losers of the week. Um, losers, I think women in the Palmer United Party, Anthony Green tweeted this out this morning. It was for this extraordinary field of 113 candidates that his party is fielding in the federal election. 15 of them are female. Although I guess that's a strong case to say that, you know, maybe it was a concerted choice not to be involved and those that are missing are perhaps winners in their own particular way. Um, winners, I had a short list. Um, perhaps the women who missed out on, on that particular nomination are White nectarines have just been delicious this week. Really, really good time of year. Um, Did they talk to you? <laughs> they screamed. They're in agony. Uh, and then uh, a speculative winner. I don't know if you guys heard about this story. Gerald Cotton, who's a crypto baron, reportedly died, although there is a question mark over whether or not he actually uh, might have faked his own death because he owed $190 million to investors when he apparently died in India. This week it has emerged that the storage account where the money was supposed to be held is empty. Should have invested in whiskey, shouldn't he? <laughs> Gene, who were the winners and losers? Um, the, this week's winner is on International Women's Day is Nancy Bird Walton because a new airport is going to be named yes. after her. Kingsford Smith Airport, we may notice, was named in 1936, although it's probably Allianz Airport by now or <laughs> Toyota Airport or something. And the losers are the two women, two senior executives of NAB Bank who are currently helping the police in their inquiries about fraud and stuff, although they're not really losers because um, ten years ago they couldn't have been senior executives of a bank. So go girls. <laughs> Happy... Please thank Jean Kitson, Angela Lovell-Pierre. Rebecca De Unamuno. Happy International Women's Day. On International Women's Day, thanks for being part of TJF. Next week, we've got Alice Fraser, Jennifer Wong and Tommy Dean. Music from Kate Miller-Heidke before she runs off to represent us at Eurovision. Until then, I'm Richard Glover. And thank God it's Friday! Yeah!